Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the upcoming prelims of UFC fight cards. Now, this week, UFC 267, an absolute banger of a main card, and actually a banger of a prelims. But, as you guys who frequent this show know, we're only going to be talking about the prelim portion. That's right, you're not getting any Jan Blankovic talk, you're not getting any Corey Sanhagen talk, you're not getting any Kamzat Shemaev talk. No, 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 we are focused only on the prelim portion of the show. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show and asking, hey, why aren't we getting that Kamzat Shemaev talk, or hey, how come you're not talking about Marcin Tibera? The answer is really simple. The answer is we know you know who those guys are. We know that you know how to break down those fights and you maybe even have a go place you go to help you break down those fights. But you don't have a place for the prelims and that's why we're here. We're going to break down the prelims and the hardest part, whether you're gambling, playing daily fantasy sports, or you want to win that pick'em contest. Now, before we start the show, I do want to let you know that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by the All-Star app. These days, there are more previews, recaps, analysis, and podcasts than you could even shake a stick at. It's all too much, and when you're looking to get that edge when you're gambling, it can be hard to block out that noise from what really matters. And that's why you should download the All-Star app, because they provide you with expert commentary from some of the most respected names in the sports world, yours truly included. Uh, In addition to all this incredible content that they package right into this intuitive app, you can get it for free, and that's crazy. Plus, there's lots of other great features to the All-Star app that I'll tell you about a little bit later on. But for right now, just trust me, go download the All-Star app in either the Google Play Store, the Apple Store, or by visiting the allstar.io. Now, to help me break down these fights today, I'm joined by frequent co-host of the show. Joining me today from the Fixed Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben, Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining me, man. Thank you for having me, man. Always a pleasure. All right. And as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Amanda Hibosh versus Virna Jantaroba. So, Hibosh had won four fights in a row, but she lost that winning streak most recently uh, in January to Marina Rodriguez. In a TKO where she got knocked out twice, actually. Uh, Virna Chintaroba, meanwhile, 3-1 and one in her last four. She beat Kanako Murata with a broken arm back in June. So my question here for you to start this one off. Amanda Hibas had a lot of issues with the hands of, of Marina Rodriguez, which certainly no shame in that. She's shown she's an excellent striker. Jandaroba, definitely not a, uh, anywhere in the, the same ballpark as Marina Rodriguez, but she has shown flashes that she is a decent striker. Do you think she can give Hibas any trouble on the feet? Um, you know, here and there, I do think Hibas might be a little, a little tad overrated overall. Um, and I think Jandaroba is serviceable on the feet, but that's mostly because she does it with the intent, usually, unless she's fighting Mackenzie Dern, which I think was a, a poorly thought out game plan from Jandaroba in that fight. But generally, Jandaroba is using her hands, sometimes kicks, basically just to set up a clinch takedown. Um, and I think she's actually going to do that here. I know Hibas is kind of a ground specialist herself, but Jandiroba, man, some of the best top control, some of the best guard passing, some of the best like top game jujitsu in all of MMA. And I think definitely in this division. Um, and I actually think that's a, a real game changer. But on the feet to answer your initial question, I do think like she's for sure not going to do the Marina Rodriguez knockout blow. That would actually really shock me if, if she gets, if she has, he was hurt on the feet, but I do think she can land, and I think she can land enough to be able to bring the fight to the mat. That's interesting. So it, it sounds like you think she's going to get enough of those takedowns where she can be successful on the ground and it, win rounds or win the fight. How, how do you see this one ending? 
Um, I see Jadarobo winning a decision here, and I do think, like, the key is, I know Hemus has great judo, not easy to take down, but the key is, I think, once Jadarobo gets it on the mat, she is just so swarming. So she really only needs two, um, and she's an excellent back taker. All that good stuff, I think, makes a ton of difference here in a, in a really, really close fight. All right, and I'm going to go with Amanda Hibas. I, I do think the judo play is different for me here. I, I just think she stays away from her enough. She uses her footwork to make it so that you know, Jandaroba doesn't have the takedown attempts. I think she's going to try, and I definitely agree with you that if she gets them, this could be a completely different fight. But I'm going to say she doesn't get them enough, and Hibas wins this one on the feet. And that's going to bring us to our second fight, which is Ricardo Hamosh versus Zabira Tugugoth. Tugugoth won one and one in his last three. He most recently lost to Hakeem Dawudo. That was back in September of 2020, so he's been away for almost a year, and it was a split decision, too, so a close fight. Hamosh, meanwhile, 3-1 in his last four. He beat Bill Algio his last time out. That was in May by decision. Now, obviously for Tuhugov, the, the big problem with the Dawudo fight was that he had a real lot of trouble getting Dawudo down. And, and, of course, he's a good kickboxer as well. But, like, having that takedown or mixing in that takedown certainly evens the score even more against a tough striker like Hakeem Dawudo. Do you think that Hamosh here is an easier target for him to take down? And do you think he even needs to in order to win this fight? Man, two great question. I do think that Hamosh is easier to take down, or at least he's going to be more willing to take it to the mat. Obviously, that's, you know, Hamosh does his best work on the ground, even sometimes from his back, taking the back. So um, even if Hamosh goes in with a game plan of, I'm going to defend every takedown that I can, I think his instincts take over at a certain point, especially if Tuhugov starts chain wrestling. Um and then to answer your second question, I still don't even think it matters. I think to Hugov, he is so freaking fast with his hands and not taking anything away from Ramos, but he is not fast with his hands or his kicks. He's not a terrible striker, but I think to Hugov, even if he wants to keep it entirely on the feet, can do that here. I think he can defend takedowns. And I think if he really lets his hands go, he can hurt Ramos. Yeah, I think so too. And the fight that I keep drawing, you know, evidence from is when you look at Ricardo Hamosh's fight with uh, Ayman Zahabi, dude, he was getting torched on the feet by Ayman Zahabi for the better part of three rounds. And any, the only thing people remember from that fight is the spinning elbow KO. <laughs> uh, and like Ricardo Hamosh is not that stricter. He's the guy who got the shit beat out of him for, for 13 minutes before that. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with two who got here. It wouldn't surprise me if he got him out of here. How about you? Yeah, I like Tuhugov by like second, maybe third round stoppage. I think he he has it in him for sure. All right, and that brings us to our last fight of the first round, which is Albert Durayev versus Roman Kopyalov. So Durayev, 14-3, and three, making his debut. He beat Kyle Bittencourt by submission with a neck crank on the Contender Series just a, a couple months ago. Kopyalov, meanwhile, 0-1 in the UFC. He lost to Carl Roberson, get this, by rear naked choke, which I definitely didn't <laughs> remember. And that was all the way back in November of 2019. So it's almost been two years for Kopyalov. I don't really have much to say about Kapilov. I don't have many questions about Kapilov. I, I'm more interested here in Durayev, who everybody seemed huge on after his Contender Series win. Are, are you buying all the hype? Is he as good as people think he is? I mean, I don't know if I'm buying all of the hype, but I do think in this fight, you know, I'm riding with a guy who has just fought like a month ago, month and a half ago, and looked great doing it, uh, versus the guy that, like you brought up, hasn't fought since November of 2019 in a submission loss to Carl Robertson. That was mostly because in that fight, Kopilov really slowed down. Um, I'm not sold on on Kopilov. I know he came in with a fair amount of hype. That fight against Carl Robertson rightfully, I think, killed a fair amount of that. But I think he's physically outmatched here. I do have questions about Duraev, but I think he can get it to the mat pretty quickly here. Um, 
and do work. I don't know if he gets like another crazy fast submission, um, but he just seems like the bigger, stronger, more imposing fighter. Yeah, and I agree 100%. I, I have questions about him as well. I wasn't as sold on him. You know, people were talking about him t- fighting a top 10 guy after the Contender Series after he beat, you know, Cal Bittencourt. And, and <laughs> I, I'm definitely not that high on him. But I do think they gave him the perfect kind of first matchup. Somebody he can overpower. Somebody he can look really good against. And somebody who's going to be rusty. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Durayev. I'll say he gets a submission before the end of the fight. Do you, do you think he gets a finish? Yeah, I don't see why not. I'm looking down his record. He has a, a fair amount of submission finishes. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, one of my favorite features of the All-Star app, it's got to be the player bios. Say you're looking to do a little research on the upcoming fight between Kamzat Shemaev and Li Jingliang. Well, when you click on that fight, which is super easy to find, it's right there in the scores tab, you'll not only get when that fight is happening, on what card, but you'll also get the opening and the current lines. And the really cool part about that is you can see what side people are betting on so you know where that line's moving, whether it's trending in the right direction for you or the wrong direction for you. You also get that for the totals as well, the over-unders. So you get all of that right in the palm of your hand, but it's so much more than just betting lines. They got full records dating all the way back to people's pro debuts and oh, so much more that I'll talk about a little bit later on. But for right now, just go download the All-Star app in either the Google Play Store, the App Store, or by visiting the allstar.io. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos versus Benoit Saint-Denis. So Dos Santos, surprisingly, actually just one and two in his last three fights. He lost to Muslim Salakos by split decision back in July of 2020. He's been off for a little bit over a year now. Benoit Saint-Denis, 8-0, making his UFC debut. He comes by way of Brave CF, where he won back in August, so not even that long ago, by arm triangle. My question for you here, Benoit Saint-Denis, the newcomer, he uses a little bit of his top grappling game. I mean, like, that's that's his go-to. He likes the arm triangle. He likes to grapple from the top. Do you think he's got enough of that here where, first of all, he can do that to Zaleski, and second of all, it's going to keep him away from that striking diversity you typically see with Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he can get it to the fight. Maybe early on. I don't can't pretend to know enough about uh, St. Denis here other than he clearly likes to grapple. He clearly prefers to do his best work from top. What we do know about ZDS is the guy fights at an incredible pace. You talked about the diversity of striking on the feet. He is also, I believe, a BJJ black belt himself. I could be wrong. Um, but he is a he's like a more than serviceable grappler himself. And it wasn't that long ago that he was riding like an eight fight win streak or something. So he's faced better competition. And I think he fights at just way too high of a pace for somebody who is coming in um, UFC debut. And this guy's what? Only nine fights in. So, yeah, I favor uh, ZDS, Celeski Dos Santos, pretty, pretty highly here. Not only just nine fights in, not a lot of time either. If you look at where that pro debut is, it, it was only a couple of years ago. Um, so he's really only been in MMA for a little while. So, yeah, to your point, really green. Uh, and it's interesting to see how he does against the black belt like uh, Zaleski. So it sounds like you like Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos. How do you see him winning this one? I see a, like a second round TKO. I think um, he survives maybe a little bit of an early takedown threat, but um, just pours it on as the fight goes on. All right, and I'm going to go out on the limb in this one. I'm going to take the newcomer. I, th- I think Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos worried me a little bit with his defensive wrestling as of late. Um, wh- while he is really good off of his back, you know, the, I, I think Benoit Saint-Denis just stays safe enough here. Uh, once he gets the fight to the ground, does enough in two rounds, and I'll say he takes a, a close decision. 
Um, and that brings us to our second fight, which is Michael Olashejak versus Shamil Gazmatov. Olashejak snapped his two-fight losing streak by winning a split decision over Modestus Bukaskis. That was back in March, although heavily debated decision there. Shamil Gazmatov won his debut in November of 2019. That's right. It's been since November of 2019 since we've seen him. He beat Clinton Abreu by split decision. That one also heavily debated. Um, so obviously uh, a long time away from seeing Gazmatov. Meanwhile, Olashejak, while didn't look like he beat Bukaskis, did look better in that fight. Do you think they're real improvements, or do you think he just looked better against Bukaskis, who kind of looked sort of underwhelming when he came to the UFC? I think a little bit more of the latter than than the former, mostly because I think Olashejak is a guy, if you look at his previous two opponents before Bukaskis, um, those, and there were two losses, guys that can physically overpower him. Olashejak is clearly not a big guy for this weight class, clearly not like physically imposing. And Bukaskis is, but he didn't really press that physical advantage. Um, Gam, Gamzatov, if I can get that name right every single time, I think <laughs> has the has the physical tools uh, to do that, to like kind of bully Oleg Shechuk around. But, you know, that's not really how he fights. Um, that Klitsin Abreu fight, I think, is a perfect example of his passivity kind of got him in trouble there. And even going back to like his PFL fights, right? He's not a super aggressive, physically imposing fighter, even though I think he can be when he wants to. Whereas Oleg Shechuk, on the other hand, is just like a little ball of scrappy aggression that doesn't take a step back for better or worse. Uh, but he is like a, you know, a ball rolling down the hill with, with his aggression. And I think, man, I'm leaning the, the slight underdog on this one with Oleg Shechuk just starting fast Heavy, maybe taking a few shots, but wearing out Gamzatov. Yeah, and, and it's worth noting, too, Gamzatov looked really tired at the end of that fight. If you look at right. it, it, just even, like, raw strike data from that, that fight, I think it said he landed, like, 30 or 40 strikes in the first round, and I think he landed, like, 12 in the last round, <laughs> where he just, like, he tired out, and, and it was some of it was grappling with, with Clinton Abreu, who's not a terrible grappler, but some of it, too, is just, like, he doesn't have the gas tank, he doesn't seem to be putting people away, and to your point didn't look interested in imposing his his own physical strength. So, yeah, I'm going to go with you in this one, too. I'm going to take Ola Shajak. I say he gets it done by decision. Uh, and that brings us to our last fight, which is another fun one. That's Makwan Amirakani versus Lerone Murphy. Amirakani won in four in his last four fights. He lost to Kimuela Kirk his last time out by decision in June. Lerone Murphy, 2-0-1 in the UFC. He beat Douglas Silva de Andrade by decision. That was back in January. Now, a lot of people super hyped up on Makwan Amirakani for a really long time. He, he was even in the rankings for a moment. But now, he's having a really tough time with a lot of different guys. I can't quite figure out, is he the overhyped guy? Is he just running into the wrong kind of opponents? What's sort of your thought on what's wrong here with Makwan Amirakani? Man, not to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. It seems largely mental to him like um you know he can't really decide is he going to be a wrestler is he going to be a boxer um and even in that last fight against Kamwella Kirk he seemed pretty freaking listless for most of the fight and then especially like the last like minute or so I believe he got taken down was on his back and just had no urgency to get back up um and I don't know if he's I don't know what's going on with him I, I can only speculate but that doesn't give me much confidence um, moving forward. And these are two guys, Lerone Murphy and Makwan Amirakani, that are on two totally different trajectories right now. Whereas Lerone Murphy, I thought, looked great against Douglas 
Silva de Andrade, well, maybe not great, but good against a, a longtime veteran, and then win prior to that against Ricardo Hamos. So I don't know, man. I think Amir Khani, if he can get the fight to the clinch consistently, I think Lerone Murphy hangs out there a little bit too long. But, you know, Makwan Amir Khani hasn't given me any confidence in his past couple of fights that he's going to fight with a purpose and a specific game plan and like a, a path to victory in mind. So it sounds like you're exactly where I am. Is it's if Makwan Amir Khani is himself, he has a really good chance of winning this fight. And I, oh, yeah. I pick him to win this fight. And I'm not sure Makwan Amirakani will be himself. So uh, I guess it's time to log that prediction. Who you got in this one? How do you got him? I'm going Murphy by decision. Amirakani just, I think he's just going to kind of survive again, unfortunately. All right. And I'm going to be the uh, the naysayer here. I'm going to say he's got enough left in the tank. He scores some takedowns. <laughs> he goes back to his wrestling ways uh, and he scores the upset victory here. I'm going to take a, a Mr. Finland himself uh, by decision. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys. One more thing that I really love about the All-Star app is their news feed. If you're the type of person who gets your sports news from social media, stop doing that. you got to read the All-Star app instead because they use a proprietary algorithm and only bring you the highest quality sports news. And you can personalize that feed so that you only get the sports news that you care about. And it's all right there in the palm of your hand in one nice, neat little spot. If this sounds like something you'd like, and I think you would, go download the All-Star app in either the Google Play Store or the Apple Store or by visiting the theallstar.io. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Hu Yao Zong versus Andre Petrovsky. So Hu Yao Zong didn't know this guy was still in the UFC. He's 0-2. <laughs> He's got losses at heavyweight and light heavyweight. The most recent one was to Rashad Coulter, who is not in the UFC anymore. Uh, that loss was in November of 2018 by decision. So, uh, you know, looking at three years away for Hu Yazong. Petrovsky, meanwhile, fought just in August. Uh, he beat Michael Gilmore by ground and pound. Uh, and kind of a weird back and forth fight that everybody thought he was going to dominate. And he didn't really. So... I guess what I'm going to say here is Andre Petrovsky's not hiding what he's going to do, right? He's going to come out. He's going to try to take you down. He's going to try to do what Sean Brady does, only the light version of it. Do you have <laughs> Do you have any hope that Hu Yao Zong can stuff any of that? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Hu Yao Zong is like a, a decent um, wrestler. Obviously, like, I can't have any level of confidence. I'm not saying, you know, go out there and, and bet the house on Hu Yao Zong, but... You know, if you want to play with a little bit of $10, $20, like, fun money, I actually don't like him as an as an underdog here, mostly because he is also, like, a pretty decent grappler. I think he was way, way outsized and just way in over his head in his first two UFC fights. Granted, it was against Sarah Lasker and Rashad Coulter, not, like, world beaters, but I just don't think he was ready. I don't know what he's been doing the past couple of years. That's why I don't have any confidence. But these are two guys that are very green um, Hu Yao Zong is going to be fighting at middleweight for the first time, so he might be big. He also might be drawn out. Who knows? But they're both very green and grappling heavy. And yeah, that Petrovsky's fight uh, at the Ultimate Fighter finale was pretty underwhelming for considering the amount of kind of hype uh, behind him. Yeah, and I would say this too: the the fight with Brian Battle on the series too worried me about him because of his gas tank. And if he's fighting a guy who's a lot bigger than him and stuffs a couple of takedowns. 
man, I know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to spoil it here. I'm going to take Petrovsky just because I have no faith on a guy who's been three years away and I believe working at the Chinese Performance Institute, which, by the way, I don't know if you watch Contender Series on Tuesday, doesn't look like they're churning out champions lately. So, <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I don't have a lot of faith in Hu Yazong, but I am worried that, like, Petrovsky will go in there and have issues with that. But uh, nevertheless, I'm going to take him here. I'm going to take him by submission. How do you uh, got this one ending? I'll go. I'll go for it. I'll say who Yezong wins third round stoppage. All right, and that brings us to our next fight, which is Demiryas Magulov versus Magomed Musafayev. So is Magulov four and zero in the UFC? He returned after being away for almost two years to beat Rafael Alves. That was back in May. Mustafayev, meanwhile, one and two in his last three. He lost to Brad Riddell by split decision in February of 2020. So it's been about a year and a half since we've seen him. Now, again, these are probably two of the most underrated dudes in the 155-pound division. You know, Mustafayev, you know, with a really nice knockout of Rafael Fiziev way back when. Ismagulov beat Tiago Moises. And yet, we're not really talking about these guys because of long layoffs. But which of these two do you think is a more legit threat at the 155-pound weight limit? Man, I think it's Ismagulov. Um, and I think he can just because I think he's more capable of kind of making it a boring fight, creating the fight that he wants. Mustafayev is a guy that I feel like is kind of must watch violence every time. Um, and that was kind of his downfall against Brad Riddell as he slowed down quite a bit as the fight went on. I'm not convinced Mustafayev can fight at a, at like a measured pace for as long as he needs to. And I think he'll need to against Ismagulov, who will almost certainly not go away easy. Um, so I like Ismagulov just because he's, a little bit more wound, more well-rounded, and I think more willing to, like I said, make it a bit of a boring fight, clinch when he needs to, set the distance at long range when he needs to, and just kind of stay out of Mustafayev's uh, danger zone early. Yeah, I, I think he has the ability to stand and trade with Mustafayev and, like, be successful, even in that wild, crazy firefight. I think he'd be stupid as hell to do it, but, like, even if he did come in with the Goris game plan, I think he's got a good chance of executing it. So, um, and, and yeah, I, I think ultimately he will make it a quote unquote boring fight and we will see him uh, score a dozen takedowns and just kind of dominate <laughs> on top. And I, I'll say win a decision. I think that's probably the most likely outcome. How about you? Yeah, I like a decision. I like Ismagulov by decision as well. All right, and that brings us to our last fight, which is the flyweights Tagir Ulambakov versus Alan Nascimento. Ulambakov beat Bruno Silva in his October 2020 debut. He won that fight by decision, so again, he's been off for a year as well. Nascimento, 18-5, making his debut. He lost to Raulan Paiva by split decision on the Contender Series, which doesn't look so bad in retrospect. And since then, he's won his next fight, which was in July, and the UFC scooped him right back up. So uh, my question is, is Ulambakov... You know, a good striker, but also has some really nice wrestling mixed in as well. Does he want to go to the ground with a guy like Alan Nascimento, who who has really good submissions both off of his back and when he's on top? You know, I think Ulambakov will kind of follow the typical kind of Dagestani Sambo-style game plan, which is keep it on the feet as long as it's working. And I think that could lead to him, you know, Nascimento, from what I've seen, can get a little wild on the feet. So maybe he can get Ulambakov in trouble there. Um, but I think Ulambakov will keep it on the feet because he's comfortable there, comfortable-ish, I should say, um, as long as he feels unthreatened. Um, so I have no idea. That could be, you know, the full fight if he so chooses. But I could see Nascimento getting a little reckless on the feet, maybe making Ulambakov nervous. And that's when I think uh, Ulambakov takes it to the mat. And even with Nascimento's, like, submission skills, 
I like Ulambakov as long as he's in top position to kind of win by ground strikes and more or less dominate the fight. Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. I think Ulambakov keeps this on the feet as long as he wants to. Um, if he does choose to take it down, you know, again, I, I think Nascimento has really good submissions. I just don't think he's going to submit, you know, like UFC level guys off of his back with regularity. Um, not, not, not without somebody making a pretty grave mistake. So yeah, I like Ulambakov here. I don't think he gets a finish. I think he wins this one by decision. How about you? Uh, I'm going to take Lomakov by submission. I actually think he gets a, a guillotine choke here. All right. And that does it for the end of our third round. We give you nine fights in just a little under 20 minutes. We hope you guys both learned a little something, and we hope it helps you with your picks as you make them for this weekend. It's going to be an exciting both prelim card and main card uh, for free on Saturday, UFC 267. We hope you guys enjoy. Once again, uh, joining me today, and you can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Abrigo or... Uh, his podcast, at Fix Fights Pod, that's of course the Fix Fights Podcast, is Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me, man. Man, thank you.